You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right. Good morning, Radiant Church. Do we not have the cutest kids on the planet? Come on. Someone make some noise. What an awesome song that our kids did earlier, and we're so proud of our kids' ministry here. So shout out to you. Sarah and all of the kids team there, they are doing a phenomenal job. Well, listen, if you are new with us, welcome. My name is Marco, and I am the lead pastor of Radiant Church. We are so honored that you have decided to make Radiant a part of your weekend. And I want to remind you one more time, you guys, next Sunday, it's come upon us. Christmas Eve is next Sunday, and these three times are different from our normal meeting times. So please take note, 9 a.m., 10.30 and 12 noon. These are family services. They're about an hour long each, and our nursery only will be open for those first two services. So parents, you're going to want to have a heads up on that one. So stop by guest services, grab an invite card, invite your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. Make sure they're all here as we celebrate the coming of our Savior. It's going to be an incredible time. Well, today, you guys, we have arrived. This is part number seven. This is it. We're finishing up. We're wrapping up our series entitled Jesus and the End Times. And listen, I know it's been a wild ride, and I hope you've learned a lot. But more importantly, I hope that this has shaped your heart really for uh, the second coming of Jesus as we prepare for his return. And I want to just say this. I realize that There are many things that we did not cover in this series, and I've only really scratched the surface of many of these things when it comes to eschatology or the last things. And so I want to just encourage you, listen, to pursue God and his word, to be a lifelong student of his word. That's the attitude that I take, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing because after all, listen to this. Did you know that the Bible is about 25%, even 30%, some people say, 25% prophetic, meaning speaking of future things to come, things that have already been fulfilled and things that are yet to come. And, And if that is the case, which I believe it is the case, listen, we should be diligent students of his word. We should love his word. We should study it. We should learn about prophecy because it really is an amazing thing. If you're new with us today and maybe... This is your first time, and you saw the the video, and it scared you just a little bit. Listen, I want to give you some context for our series. You know, this season, we, of course, we we celebrate Advent, and Advent is a a Latin term, and it means arrival or coming. And so during Advent season, we remember and we reflect upon Jesus' first coming. And one of my favorite Christmas carols, in fact, this is probably my favorite Christmas Carol of all time is O Holy Night. Do we have any O Holy Night fans in this room right now? Yeah, such a great, great song. I love it when Kendall, one of our singers, sings that song. And there's a line in there in the beginning, O Holy Night, the stars are shining brightly. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. And we sing that carol, we sing that song, and we reflect upon just the profound implications of Jesus' first coming. But Advent season is not only meant to to 
for us to reflect and remember his first coming. It's meant to stir our hearts as we look forward to what? To his second coming. And that's what we're doing. That's what we've done in this series. If you want to go back on YouTube, you can catch all of our messages there. But listen, my hope and my prayer is not to scare any of us because that doesn't do anything for anyone. But my hope and prayer has been really threefold that we, um, that we would live ready live ready for the appearance of Jesus, that we would long for his glorious appearance, and also that we would love others well, that while we're here, we do all three of those things, that we would live ready, live a godly life, that we would long to see him, and that we truly, uh, we would love others well while we are here. Well, church, today, listen, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be lots of fun. We're going to have a great time in Revelation once again. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. And the, the message or the title of my message is this, All Things Made New. All Things Made New. And listen, last few weeks, it's been a bit scary. We've talked about the Antichrist. We've talked about wars, rumors of wars. We've talked about a rebellion in heaven. We've talked about a, a dragon. But today, we're going to study... The, the glorious hope that we have for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. And we get to see the amazing things that await us in the new creation. And so listen, on that note, let's take a moment and let's pray. And then we're going to get into God's word. Let's pray together. Church, Father, we love you and we thank you so much for this Advent season. We thank you for just the work that you're doing in all of our hearts today. And Lord, we pray that by the power of your spirit that you might draw men, women, and children to you. Lord, would you, in your kindness, open blind eyes? Would you unlock deaf ears? Would you soften hardened hearts? Father, I prayed this in first service. I want to pray it again. And for those of us who are here or watching online and who have a broken heart, we just pray that, God, you would bind up the brokenhearted. God, that you would bring healing to those of us who have been through hardships, to those of us who have walked a difficult, a difficult path this season. Lord, would you bring healing? Would you bring peace to us? We pray that by the preaching of your word that you would draw many and bring a healing to our hearts that only you can supply and fulfill. So we thank you, God, in advance for just the work that you're going to do in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Church, did you know that really from the beginning of time, or from the beginning of humanity, that people, the world, has longed for utopia? What is utopia? Well, utopia is really a perfect world, a world without sin, a world without suffering in the words of novelist James Hilton's, he said it like this, Shangri-La, or paradise. Poets have written poems about utopia, and politicians have promised to bring utopia here on the earth, and we have another election year coming up next year. God help us all, right? And <laughs> singers have written songs and sung songs about utopia, uh, think about this. Uh, most of you in the room probably know who this is. His name is John Lennon. He wrote a song called Imagine. Anybody know this song? Raise your hand if you know Imagine, right? 
Most of you have memorized this probably. John Legend, or John Legend, John Lennon, that's a very different artist. John Lennon said this, imagine there's no heaven, there's no hell, no countries, there's no possessions, nothing to kill or die for, living life in peace. And then he gets to the chorus, and what does he say? He says, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Okay, you can clap for him. That's all right. Yeah, cool. John Lennon envisioned, listen, this world where there was no suffering, there was no pain, there's no fighting over territory, right? There's, there's no wars between different countries that we could all just be one, this perfect society. That's what he envisioned. He even said there's no heaven and there's no hell. He, he didn't want any consequences, actually, for, for any wrongdoings or good doings at that. Did you know that this, though, that the Bible itself promises us heaven here on earth? It's true. The Bible promises us heaven here on earth. And I know that for some of you, this is shocking because, again, Westerners, when we think of heaven, what do we think of? We think of we're on top of the clouds, we're playing a harp all day, oversized diaper, right? And this is, this is kind of our end, right? And so, so many of us think about going up to heaven, and we're just sort of these chubby babies playing harps all day, right? But the Bible actually says something different. The consummation of all things, the end of all things, is actually what? It's heaven here on earth. And did you know this, that Jesus said that we could pray for it? Jesus said that we could pray for it in the Lord's Prayer, and I need all of your help this morning if you know it, okay? If you don't know it, just move your lips like you do know it, Okay? Jesus said this, come on, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There it is, right there, right there. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said that we can pray this way, that we can ask for God's kingdom to come here in its fullness. Because after all, that's, that's the end game. That's the end goal. That's the, the completion of human history is not us going up and playing harps all day on a cloud. That's what a lot of people think, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches what? A new heavens and a new earth. And this is what those in Christ have awaiting them. Now, when it comes to eschatology, I hold what is called a premillennial view and some of you are like, whoa, whoa, I'm just visiting. Well, I don't know what that means, right? What does a pre-millennial view hold to? Some of you, you may not know this, so let me define this for you. It's a bit of theology. We'll put it up here for you can see. A pre-millennial view is that Jesus returns first, and then he sets up his literal kingdom in Jerusalem. So leave that up there for a few moments. It's the idea that Jesus comes before the millennium. What is the millennium? Well, in the Bible, the millennium is this thousand-year rule and reign of Christ here on the earth. And this is spoken about in Revelation chapter 20. You can read all about it there. I would suggest that you do that. And so a premillennial view, is, listen, says that Jesus comes back first, and then he rules and reigns from Jerusalem here on the earth for 1,000 years. Years And by the way, this was the dominant viewpoint for the first three centuries of church history. Later on, the, 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 the scripture was 
allegorized or spiritualized, and that was done by Origen and, and Augustine. And, and then and there are some who don't hold to this view. They're still Christians. But some would say that the thousand years is not a literal thousand years, that it's a figurative. It's just a lot of time. And so these people would be called amillennialists or amillennialism. It's this idea that the thousand-year reign is not a literal thousand years, and that thousand years is actually speaking of the church age, which is actually more like right now or in this moment. But my, here's my argument, and I'll make it quick because literally thousands of words have been, thousands of pages have been written about this debate is if we can't trust what the Bible says about a thousand years, a thousand meaning a thousand, how do we trust what the Bible says about any other numbers in Revelation and then any other numbers in the whole Bible for that matter? And so I, I take it to be literal here that it's a, a true thousand-year reign on the earth. I want to show you a graphic from Wayne Grudem. He's a very helpful theologian when it comes to all things theology. And this is what we would call classical pre-millennialism or a historic pre-millennialism. The church age, which is right now, moves into a time of tribulation. And then what we see is the believers go up. Some people call that a rapture, but it really just means catching up. And then the parousia or his coming. And I taught this last week, so if this is shocking for you, I don't hold to a secret rapture where we're left with just our clothes. I hold to what I think the Bible teaches, which is really that his coming or parousia and the, the, the calling up of the saints is one and the same. It's one event in the same. I think that Paul teaches this. I think that Jesus teaches this. And then we move into a millennium which is a thousand-year period where Jesus will rule on the earth. And then what we see is a resurrection of unbelievers, so those who rejected Christ that will be raised up, and they will be condemned for their sins. And then those of us in Jesus, listen, we will be rewarded for our righteousness, for our righteousness in Jesus Christ. And then finally, you'll see at the very end that we move into what? To an or the eternal state. Or really, that's a fancy way of just saying New heavens and new earth. And that, friends, gets us to where we are at today. Revelation chapter 21. I, I want to spend all of our time in just eight verses today. That's it. Just eight verses because there's enough there for you to chew on for the next 10 years, actually, to be honest with you. So John is the writer. Remember John? He was one of the closest apostles to Jesus. John was the only disciple who was not martyred. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. And there, John receives a vision or what? A revelation. Apocalypsis is the Greek word. It truly means the, a revealing. And all it truly means is what? The revealing of Jesus Christ. That's what really revelation is all about, the revealing of who Jesus is. And so imagine with you, or with me rather, the, the, the curtains being pulled back and John is able to see behind the curtains on what is to come. And this is what we read about in the book of Revelation. So let's go there. Chapter 21, beginning in verse number one. John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. I love that. New Jerusalem. It's not the new Bay City. It's not the new New York. It's not the new Sydney, Australia. It's Jerusalem here, okay? Because remember, God has a heart for Zion, a heart for Jerusalem. Throughout the entire narrative of Scripture, God loves Jerusalem. 
The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is amazing. So John sees behind the curtain, and what does he see? He sees a new heavens and a new earth. And John doesn't see any any of us going up. He sees Jerusalem coming down. And I want to just tell you, this is indirect fulfillment from prophecy in the Old Testament. I bet you didn't know this. This is indirect fulfillment from from the prophet Isaiah. This is amazing. In fact, when you begin to read, or actually, let me just say this. Some scholars say that every single verse in Revelation alludes to the Old Testament. Isn't that amazing? Every single verse. And what this means is that the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're, they're connected, and you truly have to understand the Old Testament if you want to understand the New Testament. And when you begin to read the Bible this way, I mean, it just comes alive, you guys. It's like, whoa, I'm seeing things I've never seen in God's Word my entire life. But I want to show you something from Isaiah, because Isaiah spoke of this idea of Jerusalem and a new creation, new heavens, and a new earth. It's Isaiah 65, verse 17 through 19. says this in verse 17, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. We won't even remember those things. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight. Isn't this amazing? He says Jerusalem to be a delight. Church, let me just ask you for a moment. Is Jerusalem a delight right now? No, it's not. It's a place of what? Of of much contention. Lots of violence and adversity. Conflict. But God speaks through Isaiah and says, I will create Jerusalem to be a delight. And then he says this. It's people a joy. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jewish People, the Jewish state here. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and will take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Incredible. So Jerusalem is coming down. John hears this loud voice, and I love, I love what he hears. It's this idea. The loud voice says, There, God's dwelling place will be with man. He will be with his people, and we will be with him, and he will be our God. We will be together again. That is amazing. And I just want to remind you, church, I want, to, I want you to know that this has always been God's intent ever since the Garden of Eden to dwell with his people. Remember how in Genesis God would walk with Adam in the cool of the day? If you go all the way back to Genesis, God would walk with Adam in the cool of the day. Why? Because God wanted to dwell with mankind. So so what happened, Marco? Here's what happens. Sin enters into the equation in Genesis chapter 3. And so what do we read about? We read about Adam and Eve. They rebel and they they take of of the the fruit and, and they're deceived by the serpent. And sin enters into the equation. And from that point on, Adam and Eve are banished or literally they're forcefully expelled from the garden to the fact that God even does this. God sets up cherubim and a a flaming sword to guard the Garden of Eden. Why? So they couldn't come back in and partake of the tree of life. Well, that sounds like a big mean God. No, it doesn't. It sounds like a loving God. 
God doesn't want them to partake of the, of the tree of life in their sin so that they would live forever in their sin. So he banishes them and he protects that. It's amazing. But this has always been God's intent to dwell with mankind. Humanity no longer has the access to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And God in his holiness, we know this, cannot dwell with mankind. I mean, he truly could, but it would destroy all of us because God is holy and in his perfection we would all be, what? Destroyed. Destroyed. But I want to remind you, church, that this has always been God's heart to what? To dwell with man, to dwell with us. I want to prove it to you again. I want to take you to the second book of the Bible, which is what? Anybody? Exodus. You guys are Bible scholars. I love you. It's amazing. I want you to notice what God says to Moses in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. It says this, then have them make a sanctuary for me. And then what does it say? I will dwell among them. God's like, I want to be with my people. So Moses, build me a sanctuary. Verse number nine, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So check this out. If you're new to the Bible, that's okay. I'm going to help you understand it. In the Old Testament, God does dwell with his people. Well, how? Through what? Tabernacle and temple. And then what do we see from there? We see the sacrificial system that's set up that there would be animal sacrifices to atone for the sins of his people. But every single sacrifice that we see in the Old Testament is always pointing to, it's an allusion to who? To the ultimate sacrifice made in Jesus Christ. Jesus was that final sacrifice. And then here in Revelation, what happens? We see finally God is now dwelling with his people once again. God wants to be in fellowship with you, and maybe you don't want that perhaps, but God wants to be with you. And in Revelation, this is what will take place. We will be with Jesus. Amen, church? I love what theologian Wayne Grudem says about this. He says this, heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. That's amazing. Heaven is the place where God makes his presence known to bless us. And so what once was severed by sin, listen, is no more, and we shall be with God. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. Church, I want to just say this for a few moments. Did you know that you were made for relationship with God? You were made for relationship with God. In fact, there was a great theologian. His name was Augustine. Augustine of Hippo famously quoted as saying this, that our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. And so maybe you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with God and Jesus Christ and your heart is restless. I want to be real with you. I want to be truthful with you. Your heart is not restless because you don't have enough money. Your heart is not restless because your girlfriend broke up with you. Your heart is not restless because you feel like you haven't done everything you need to do. Your heart is restless because you've not been found in Jesus Christ. And until you find your life in Jesus, can I just promise you that you'll never be satisfied. Your heart will always be wandering. You'll always be restless. 
going from one thing to the next, trying to find fulfillment, satisfaction, hope. But meanwhile, you're disillusioned, you're disappointed, you're angry, you're upset, wanting more from life, trying to figure out what is it, what is it, what is it, and it's Jesus Christ. Until your hearts rest in him. And the Bible tells us about this, right? That we were made for relationship with God. This is why a relationship with Jesus Christ is the, is the central focus of the Bible from what? From Genesis all the way to Revelation. And when we get to the end, it's us and Jesus together, just like it was meant to be. What about the tree of life? I mentioned the tree of life and how in the Garden of Eden, God put up cherubim and a flaming sword. What shows back up in Revelation chapter 22, check this out. This is amazing. Revelation chapter 22, the first two verses, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. You guys, it shows back up. This is amazing. We have access to it again in new creation. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every single month. And, and listen to this. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Wow. Yes. Could our nations use some healing right now? We need some healing between Jewish people and Arabs. There needs to be healing between Ukrainians and Russians. And then, not to mention the dozens and dozens of other conflicts taking place all over the world. God understands that right now that the, that the nations rage against God and the nations rage against one another and the leaves from the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. This is incredibly powerful. This is what we need right now. So the Bible tells us that at the end time, God, God's people will experience the blessings of a what? Of a restored creation and renewed access to the what? To the tree of life and death will be no more. Death will be no more. Let's go back to Revelation 21, verse number four. Notice what it says. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Can we just say amen right there? Amen. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Hey, this morning I prayed with some people, and every single person I prayed with cried. And it wasn't tears of joy. It was tears of pain. Because of the affliction in their lives, because of hardships. And the scripture tells us he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, bless you, or pain. I was like, like seven sneezes. I was like, man. So I'm praying for that guy right now. <laughs> for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. Church, can I just ask you a question? Not a, not a, not a difficult question. Have you ever cried tears of sorrow? Yes or no? Yes, every one of us have. Every one of us have cried tears of sorrow. You, you cry when you, a loved one passes away, right? You, a dear family member passes on. Have you ever cried because you just felt so alone? Anybody? Man, I've done that. You just feel so alone. 
You feel so lonely. You, feel, you just found yourself in a place where you feel like nobody hears you, nobody sees you, you're not heard, you're not seen, right? Nobody recognizes you. And then maybe you're, you're on your you know, sofa or on your bed, and it just, you get to a place where you just, you're so lonely, where you just cry out to God and tears stream down your face because of the pain inside of you. Have you ever felt that way? A lot of people have. There's a, there's a psalm, Psalm 42. You can look it up when you want to. Beautiful psalm. David says this. There's a line, incredibly profound and poetic. David says this, my tears have been my food all day and night. Isn't that beautiful poetry? My tears have been my food all day and all night. And listen, my guess is that some of you here, listen, you feel like David because of what you've walked through in 2024 or 2023, rather, 2022 even, and the pain in your life has been so real. And listen, last night as I was going over my notes, and so every Saturday night I go over my notes and I spend about an hour or so, I read through my notes, I pray through them, and so often the Holy Spirit begins to speak to me about my own notes. It's pretty cool. He shows me things, he adds things. I felt like the Spirit of God just led me to this. He said, some people are crying because of their pain, but some people in the house of the Lord today are in so much pain that they're now angry with God. And that anger has hindered their relationship with him, has hindered them to coming or drawing near to Jesus. And so maybe there's one or two, or you're watching online Listen, I, I don't know if it's for anybody. I know there were some people in first service. They said it resonated with them. But if that's you today, listen, I just want to say this. I want to I minister to you after church. I want to pray with you one-on-one. Because I just felt like that was a word from God, that somebody's here, and they've been in such great amount of pain that they're angry now at God. And we just want to minister to you. I want to grab the elders, and maybe we'll anoint you with oil, whatever it takes. We just want to spend five minutes, just five minutes praying with you. But heaven will be a place, listen, where there's no more crying. We won't need to cry because death will be no more and we'll be in the presence of God. But the Bible also tells us that there's no more pain in heaven. No more pain. I found out this statistic. Check this out, church. Over 25 billion doses of common brand name drugs containing acetaminophen, such as Tylenol, are sold each year. 25 billion doses. You know what that means? That means there's a lot of people in pain. <laughs> now, some of you, I've talked to you, I've prayed with you. Some of you, you know what this is like, and you deal with chronic pain. I don't deal with chronic pain. I'm so grateful for that. But some of my brothers and sisters do. You wake up in the morning and something hurts. It hurts every single day. Some of you, you wake up and you're like, I didn't even know I had that body part. Wow, that hurts, right? And you're like, oh, 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 right? And, 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 and I can just imagine for you, when you read this in the scripture, you're just like, there's a special Maranatha heart cry in you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Because I'm in pain. And I've been dealing it with for years, for decades even. See, in heaven, we're going to have glorified bodies. And the Bible doesn't really get into a lot of details about what those glorified bodies will look like or what those glorified bodies will, will be like. But I just want to say this quickly to you, church. I'm going to look good. <laughs> I'm going to look good. And you're going to look good too, okay? You're going to look good too. I know. I know it's crazy to believe. But listen, 
And I already know what some of you are thinking. There's some 20-something in here right now. It's like, Pastor Marco, I look good right now. So I don't know what you're saying. And let me just say this for all of you. On behalf of all of us, give it a few years. Because you just may have a different response. Let me say this, church. When the Bible says there's no more pain, it also means this. There's no more relational strife. Anybody have any relational strife in their life right now? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. We probably don't need to know that, but, but we can pray about it afterwards. <laughs> the Bible says there's no more pain, and I take that to mean there's no more relational strifes, no more conflicts. Listen, where relationships are severed and the words that are exchanged leave us what? Bruised, damaged, and what? And an emotional pain. And maybe, maybe that's a picture of your, of your marriage today. It's a picture of your marriage. You feel like you're talking over one another. This is not a series on marriage, but I felt, again, prompted by the Spirit to put this in my notes. Sometimes in our marriages, we have trouble communicating with one another, and it feels like, in my marriage, sometimes it feels like I'm speaking Mandarin, and my wife is speaking, like, Spanish, right? Have you ever felt that in your marriage? Anybody? No? I mean, if you've been longer than... Been married longer than five minutes, so I think you can resonate. <laughs> For some of you in here, it's, it's not just that you have a lack of communication, but when you communicate, what it's, it's, it's bitterness. There's bitterness there. There are cutting words, that words that do damage. There's, there's a condescending tone. And so there's what? There's, there's relational strife, and we're, we're not seeing eye to eye. And, and this causes what? This causes great pain. And ultimately, if it's not dealt with, we know that it, it can lead to what? To divorce. And the, the one thing that we need more than anything, church, listen, is for what? For our hearts to be healed by Jesus himself, first and foremost. For forgiveness to reign. For reconciliation to take place by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, you can experience that here and now. You can. You can't experience that here and now. But the Bible tells us about a day where there's no longer going to be any physical pain, but I also take it to mean that there's no longer going to be any relational pain. Because so often it's our closest relationships that cause us the greatest amount of sorrow and grief and heartache. And I just want to say the Lord sees you. If that's you today and there's heartache, there's sorrow in your life, there's sorrow in your marriage, the Lord sees you. There is a way out. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. Finally, the Bible tells us there will be no more death. Check this out. In the next 24 hours, 150,000 people will die. So, did the math. This equates to 6.7 million people dying every year. 6.7 million people dying every year. Can I just say that death has completely tarnished human existence? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says that death is our what? Our last enemy. That's right. Good job. Our last enemy. In Hebrews, the writer says this, chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed for man to what? To die once and then the judgment. And so death is what? The one thing we have in common. But I love this. I love this because death has an end as well, and it too will be thrown in the lake of fire. Is it? Okay, <laughs> could be a little bit better reaction to that one, right? 
<laughs> Death has an end as well. And it's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And I said this first service, I hope I'm there to see it. Come on, wouldn't that be so cool? You just see like Jesus got death in a chokehold, man. So it's like, <laughs> and he just chucks him into the lake of fire. And then it's like a stadium full of people. <laughs> and we're just high-fiving. And then we're like, play that song one more time. Sing that chorus. How great was it? You see them fans, them crazy fans in the soccer games. They're just like, ah. That's how I'm going to be when death is thrown in the lake of fire. And you better be there with me celebrating in the same way, right? Death has an end. This is what we read about. Come on, church, wake up. We read about this. This is incredible news for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. Verse number five. I told you we're going to just exegete this text line by line. We're going to pull it apart. Verse number five. He who was seated on the throne, which is God himself, said, I'm making everything new. Everything new. What time is it right now? That clock went out. Everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. It is done. Doesn't that sound like a lot like Jesus? It is finished? We'll get there in a minute. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. There it is again, God dwelling with us, we with him. And then listen, at the cross, Jesus says what? It is finished. And when Jesus says it is finished, he's pointing to the fact that the, that the debt that humanity owed him was paid in full, right? It's finished. But here in Revelation, he says it's done. In other words, that God has brought to completion everything he set out to do, that God is making all things new. God said it's done. It's done. It's amazing. And we'll get to hear those words. God describes himself as the what? The alpha and the omega. What does that mean? Well, alpha, first letter of the Greek alphabet, omega, last letter of the Greek alphabet, the beginning, and then the end. And these titles are really alluding to the fact that God is what? God is sovereign over all of human history. He's sovereign of all human history. Listen, that history itself finds its end in salvation and judgment. In other words, church, listen to this. The God who brought, who brought the world into existence is the same God who will bring the world to its completion. Wow. He brought it into existence. He'll bring it to its completion. Church, I just want to say this. I, I want this verse to be of great comfort to you today because what we see in our world right now is that everything that, is, that can be shaken is being shaken, right? And I know for a, for a lot of us, it probably means that we're tempted to be fearful. We're tempted to p pull away. We're tempted to not dig into the local church. We're tempted to, to hoard things, to hoard our finances and material possessions. But listen, I, I want to just, I want you to rest assured, listen, that the same God who spoke us and the, really the heavens into existence, listen, is the same God who will bring everything to existence, that Jesus knows how this will unfold. And we can rest assured in that. It doesn't mean that everything will be easy in the end. It doesn't mean that we won't have any tribulations. We will. I, I, I tend to think that we, the church will walk through some very, very, very difficult times. I know some people don't see it that way, and that's okay. Again, we don't need to fight about those things. 
But we can rest assured that Jesus is still sovereign on the throne. And finally, church, I want us to look at verse number eight. And if you're looking in your smartphones or your Bibles, you'll notice that verse number eight, there's a change of tone there. It doesn't, it's not meant to necessarily scare us, but to take seriously the reality of our future destiny, okay? When I say our future destiny, I mean mankind's future destiny, not just those of us in Jesus Christ. Verse number eight says this, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, remember, divination, and, and, and I know, you hear me harp on this all the time, but I love you. Remember, like divination, sorcery, Ouija boards, tarot cards, palm reading, all of it is demonic. And, and the, the scripture tells us that those who practice the magic arts will not inherit the kingdom of God. The idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the second death. I want you to notice right now one thing, church, and it's this. Heaven is not for everyone. And I know that's triggering, but it's true. Heaven is not for everyone. There's a list. But what is the first item on that list? Who are the first items on that list? The cowardly. I found that to be compelling. The cowardly. I think this speaks of this idea, listen, that we're going to be tempted to what? To compromise our faith in the midst of pressures and culturally. In the same way that those seven churches that are written about in Revelation were tempted to compromise their faith, us too in the here and now, we will be tempted to compromise our faith. We will be tempted to what? To, to, to shrink back, to be cowardly. In the end days, we're going to be tempted to what? We're going we're to be afraid of suffering. Some of us may be even afraid of dying for Jesus. But the scripture, the Lord himself is calling us to what? To courage and not cowardice. To courage and not cowardice. Church, I'm going to say this. It's the cowardly who will abandon their faith in the end times. It's the cowardly who will resist all suffering. It's the cowardly who will give in to people-pleasing and being liked by their peers and giving in to the pressures that are around them. It's the cowardly who will do all these things. And I'm reminded of the words of Joshua to be strong and courageous. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. The cowardly. He then goes on to list several types of sins. And as you look behind me, he says the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars. Now, in the text, God doesn't mean those who have never murdered or those who have never been sexually immoral, because if that were the case, guess what? Well, none of us would be there. None of us. None of us. What is God speaking here to? He's speaking to the fact of those who reject Jesus and continue continue in their sin unrepentant. And they just don't care. Like, I know what I'm doing is wrong, and I don't care. I don't care. Those who reject Jesus and continue in their sin. This is their outcome that we see because God 
simply doesn't wink his eye at sin. We know this, right? His son paid the ultimate price for forgiveness. God doesn't just give a free pass to everybody. <laughs> Go on in. You can get in too. Go for it. Yeah. Now listen, there are going to be many in prison who come to Jesus who repent and they, they were murderers and they did vile things. And guess what? There's going to be some people in heaven we do not expect to see. We're going to be like, dude, how did you make it? What? No. Get, get over here, bud. Right? High five. Right? But they gave their lives to Christ truly in repentance. There's a belief called universalism. Universalism is the belief that everyone will ultimately be saved. However, universalism is not taught in the scripture. Well, Pastor Marco, I'm pretty good. I am pretty good. And I've done the best I can. I can't meet his standards. I know. Listen, I know. I can't either, brother, sister. I can't either. But there's one who has. His name is Jesus. Your good works won't get you anywhere, but your faith in Christ will. And so some of us are begging on all the wrong things. Well, if I can just get to the finish line and my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Well, who the heck's going to know that but God himself? And listen, the reality of the, the matter is your bad deeds will probably outweigh your good deeds. Just in thought. Just in our thoughts. So what is God looking for then? I can't, well, I can't meet that. People have told me I, could, I can't meet that standard. It's impossible. People have told that to my face, like in conversation. I, I, I could never do that. He's asking for too much. And no, I'm like, no, 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 listen. There's one who has. It's Jesus that you need to trust in, not yourself. Jesus that you need to trust in. The Bible tells us that we come to God in faith and repentance, pursuing godliness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, did you notice the scripture tells us that there's a second death? The second death is called this because it refers to a separation from God that takes place after physical death, after the physical death of those who have rejected Jesus. Ultimately, again, those who reject God have their end in the lake of fire. And God wants us to know, listen, that the stakes are incredibly high. And so church, I just say this with, with sobering humility. Listen, yes, there is a glorious return. Yes, there's a new heavens and a new earth. No more sin, no more death, no more suffering, no more wars. Yes, there is a promise for those who follow Jesus, but I just want you to know that there's also a promise for those who reject him. The stakes are high. This is not a game. This is eternity hanging in the balance. And that brings me to my conclusion here. We're going to wrap it up. I want to look at verse number six once again because verse number six, there's something there that I purposefully neglected because I wanted to bring it up here. Look at verse number six with me, church. It says this. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. I want you to notice what's underlined behind me because the figure of thirst, listen, represents the sense of spiritual need, of spiritual hunger. It represents, listen, our deepest desires and longings being satisfied in Jesus. This is not just a matter of religion. This is a matter of what are your deepest desires? What are your deepest 
longings. Let me ask you a question like, like this. Do you feel like you're dissatisfied with life? Do you feel like you're disillusioned? Do you feel disappointed right now with life in general? Listen, if you can answer that question honestly with yes, Marco, I do. I feel disillusioned. I've, I've been let down. I feel like I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. Listen, if that's you, can, can I just implore you, please, please, please do not fill that need with more food. Do not fill that need with more sex. Do not fill that need with another boyfriend, another girlfriend. Do not fill that need with another Xbox or another PlayStation system or another material possession or more clothing or whatever it might be. Why not? Because ultimately those things will fail you and they fall short and they will leave you, listen, just more disappointed, more dissatisfied. You'll come on the other side of that still being let down by everything the world has to offer you. And the Bible says this Put that verse up again. This promise, this invitation is an invitation for us today. Once again, to what? To come to Jesus. Those of us who are thirsty and he will satisfy you by giving you what? Water, the water of life. And I want to just challenge you with that today, this morning. And I know this is like, Pastor Margaret, did you have to get so serious? My grandpa's here for the first time. My uncle's here. Yes, I did because life and death are hanging in the balance. That's why. Eternity is at stake, and if you're here, we're not here to judge you or condemn you, but we're here to actually get you to a point of decision. A point of decision, come on, come on, to, to, to go all in with Jesus. That by your own works, you'll never get there, but through him, you will. When you begin to trust in his finished work at the cross, Calvary, your salvation is secure. Yes, we can clap our hands for that this morning. So if that's you, church, I want to pray for you today. If we could just posture ourselves in a place of prayer. Let's pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts. Father, there are some of us in this room. There are some of us watching online, and we are dissatisfied. And we're looking for love in all the wrong places. We're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Father, I pray right now that you turn every heart towards Jesus Christ this morning, right now, both online and here in person, God. That we no longer trust in our own works, but we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. That he lived the life that we could not live without sin. He died the death that we all deserved. It was death on the cross. He was killed crucified, buried. Three days later, he was risen from the grave, now sits at the right hand of the Father, and Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. He will return one day. So, Father, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that we are sinners destined to hell without him. And God, we need Jesus to come and save us right now. Forgive us of our sins, of our rebellion, Lord. We repent. It means we turn away from those things, and we come running to the mercy seat of God. We thank you that our hope is secure in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's clap our hands this morning, church. Come on.